What's going on? Welcome to The Doug Show. My name is Doug Cunnington, and I'm pumped in this interview. I'm going to talk to Pete McPherson, and he is over at Do You Even Blog. And I was checking out his site beforehand. I see he's been featured in Forbes, NPR, Business Insider, WordPress, Lifehacker. It looks like he interviewed Seth Godin. So my first question to you, Pete, is why are you talking to me? I am talking to you because I can't get any work done between the hours of like 2 p.m. and 5 p.m. It's my least productive time of day. And so I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Doug. You just happened to like fill in that time spot right there. That's why. Take what I can get. But welcome, Pete. It's a pleasure to talk to you. And we're going to dive into niche sites and we're going to talk about how the landscape has shifted and how some of your ideas have changed over time and actually very recently. And here's some of your backstory. And I want to start there because I think you've been blogging for for quite a while. You've been working online. So yeah, what's your origin story? I'll give you the fun version that involves lots of sites because I know this is like, you can appreciate this. So technically, yes, I've been blogging since 2009 and technically podcasting since 2009 as well. I started a blog, just a personal diary blog. I had a bluegrass blog for a hot minute because I like to play bluegrass music and mandolin and guitar and whatnot. Dabbled in some online stuff, never as a business. Some friends asked me to start a podcast for them, really just to edit. It was on sports. I'm like, I mean, I, I enjoy watching some football every now and then, but I had no idea what they were talking about. I, they're, they're mentioning all these sports. No idea what I was doing. Podcasting, it was a mess. And technically, it's still up on iTunes. People can go listen. It's terrible. But I always thought it was fun. So to skip forward just a little bit in my own timeline, I I had five different majors in college. I was a music major for like three and a half years and ended up stopping that because I didn't want to I didn't want to do music after I wasted three years of public education on it. And I never knew what I wanted to be when I grew up. So failed out of college at some point, took half a year off. Well, they made me take a year off. They fired me for a year. Then I ended up going back to college. I got a degree in sociology mostly because this is like 2007, 2008. People are like, just get a college degree. You will be fine. That's fine. You just need a college degree. And then what happened in 2007, 2008, the economy collapses. And then all of a sudden, sociology degrees, not so in demand for a lot of non-sociology jobs. And there's not that many sociology jobs, period. So. I actually went to a friend slash mentor, somebody who knew my parents growing up, who was the dean of business at a smaller school in my hometown. And I was like, what do I do? Like, you know me well enough. I, I, we've, we've been in the same town. What do I do? And he's like, you should do accounting. I was like, why? Well, because there are jobs and there's money. And I was sold. I was like, done. Book me. So I went back to school. <laughs> I did accounting. I got my master's in accounting. I I did really well at that point, by the way, because I wanted money and I wanted a job. I passed the CPA exam and I got my first like grown-up job in accounting at Atlanta, Georgia. And you can kind of foresee where this is going. Just bored out of my mind, right? I, I got paid $52,000 a year, which at that time was more money than I'd ever dreamed of in my entire life. I was like, unbelievable. Somebody's got to pay me this money. But sure enough, like three months in, six months in, nine months in, 12 months in, I bored out of my mind and just looking for other stuff, starting blogs again, just because I'm bored. Literally, I'm bored at work. I need something to do. And about that time, starting to actually look at it as a side hustle and or business. And I started a personal finance blog, did not started a chalkboard company, quite literally. I sold exactly one of them. And it cost me the exact same amount of money to ship it as it did revenue that I got. And it was a terrible idea. That, the large chalkboard company, a spot in Pete's history. I, at this time, from like 2009 when I very first started to like 2015, 2016, 2017, I started like 50 plus blogs and online businesses, 98% of which were failures. Like they didn't go anywhere. They didn't earn hardly anything, mostly because I, I gave up and I just stopped like two months in because I was bored again and it wasn't making money already. So I did something else, right? Shiny object syndrome, yada, yada. But I knew this is what I wanted to do. I enjoyed 
video and audio and blogging and SEO and, and all this stuff. Like I enjoyed it. I really. So in 2016, 2017, I, I decided I wanted out from accounting and my wife and I talked about it. I found a job at a local startup in my hometown. I live in Atlanta. And so I did, I quit my accounting career. I took this job at a startup. Oh, by the way, they were going to pay me like a salary, but I only had to work like 20 hours a week. It was a smaller salary, but it was still like, you know, health benefits and stuff like that. Well, it's the best of both worlds. I get to like start blogging again and or side hustles and I get a salary and health employee, health benefits or whatever. So we pack up, we sell our house, we move back to my hometown, live, move into my grandmother's house. She's in a nursing home. It was empty, just temporarily, right? Took this job at a start off and then boom, I, I got one paycheck and I got laid off. They didn't have any money to pay me. And so I'm staring at this decision of, should I go back to accounting? Do I have to? Do we need to? Do we need to move back to a bigger city where the accounting jobs are or what? And so I... And my, my wife and I, it was really me. She, she put up with a lot of my crap. I, I wanted to do this full-time entrepreneurship thing. I kind of had no other choice. And to end my story here, Doug, I actually reached out to some people you probably know as well from the personal finance community, some friends that I had made over the years. And I asked them, these, these are people who are like making money, like seven, seven figures plus from their blogs every year, like a lot of money. I called them and I'm like, please, can we Skype and just hang out? I just need to ask you, how do you do this? Like, please help me make money. <laughs> please help me do that. I can't figure it out. I haven't been able to figure it out so far. And thankfully, they let me record those, what ended up being interviews, really. And that was the Do You Even Blog podcast. It kind of started sort of on accident, sort of not. But I started just releasing those conversations I had with people. and. Even in the first month, I was I was talking to people like, I'm going to throw a name out there. I don't necessarily approve of this person. But at the time, I was able to book these interviews with people like Neil Patel. And then, of course, later on, Seth Godin, Matt Mullenweg, the founder of WordPress, and just, you know, a couple hundred others over the years. And man, that was seven and a half years ago. And here I am, <laughs> mostly doing the same stuff. And that path led to me somehow. That path led Amazing. to Doug. There was so many. On a Tuesday afternoon. <laughs> There's so many pieces in there. So you went to the the rival school of the one that I went to. So I went to Georgia Tech. We were over in Athens, which you played music. It was probably a blast, right? Like Athens was fun. I would I would go there because Georgia Tech was not that much fun. And I would go party in Athens. It was fantastic. <laughs> so not too bad. And then yeah. wow, yeah, so much. And we'll have to take some of it offline because it's really off track, but you you play mandolin and guitar? Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Still do every now and then. Not quite as much as I used to. All right. That's awesome. Okay. So these days, what are you working on? So we'll we'll fast forward. What are you doing now? Yeah. Now I have started telling people that I am a media company, quote unquote. And what that really means to me is that I have a, a very small but growing portfolio of online businesses. They're all content businesses. I think we are at five sites technically, although one is just like, it might as well not even be there, to be quite frank. Two of which are really like within the past couple of months new, not earning hardly any at all. Two of which are a little bit older and they're earning. One of them's earning actually surprisingly well. It's only like 14 months old-ish. And a couple of YouTube channels, a couple of podcasts on top of that. Um, so yeah, I, I consider myself a media company. It's all under one portfolio. I own all of them and will hopefully branch out into even more sites with more writers and editors and, and stuff like that in the coming months. This is a relatively new thing for me, calling myself this media company, because it was for a long time, just do you even blog the podcast and then the YouTube channel. But yeah, man, lots of niche sites, some YouTube channels, all, all the content. Okay, cool. And one thing that I'll jump into early before we get to the specific niche site stuff, I recommend people do check out your YouTube channel. 
you had a, I think it could have been a live stream, but there was a video where you talk about blogging versus YouTube versus podcasting. So can you dissect that a little bit? I know, you know, it's a, it's a big meaty topic, but how do you delineate those? Like, like, do you repurpose a ton of content and just talk about the pros and cons of each one? Yeah, that video is outdated. It was at least a year or two ago. And I'm happy to give my updated version right now. And it's actually interesting you asked this. I was just having a Twitter DM conversation, I guess you could say, with Niche Site Lady. She's Twitter famous, right? In the, the, the Niche Site Twitter world, at least. She's starting a YouTube channel. And we, we were talking about that a little bit. I would not recommend YouTube or podcasting for people who are really new. In this world, I'm just going to say it blanket. And part of the reason I say that is we, 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 lo- we love to throw around this word focus, right? And I feel like at some point, people, meaning I did this, I know Doug did this, at some point, you kind of sort of figure things out. Not like you have it all figured out. There's always learning involved, of course. But at some point, I realize I don't like social media. I tried to do Pinterest and Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and Facebook ads and paid ads. I did that stuff for years, like five plus years. It took me to figure out I don't actually enjoy doing it. Those can all be really effective things for any online business. They all can. TikTok can work. Facebook ads can work. Pinterest ads can work. But I didn't enjoy any of them. And therefore, I was not putting enough energy behind it. I was terrible at it. Yada, yada. I think anybody who's in their first year of online business or blogging or niche sites or anything, thinking about podcasting or YouTube. So just just put it on the back burner. Like get farther into this world before you really consider what you might use those for. That's number one. And then to actually answer your question, what might you use those for? I've come full circle on podcasting. I'll just start with that. I used to think podcasting was going to take over the entire world. In fact, I, I put it out a podcast episode of my own, like two and a half, maybe like three years ago. That was basically like, look at this data, look at these stats. Here are the engagement statistics behind podcasting, which is like 20x what YouTube and blogging is, right? Like time on page, 53 seconds, one minute, 15 seconds for my blog post. YouTube video, average watch time, one minute and a half, two minutes, three minutes. Average time somebody listens to my hour-long podcast episode is like 45 minutes. 50 minutes, 55 minutes in some cases. I released a three hour long episode with a call to action at the very end to like, I basically said like, if you actually listen to this three hour long episode, email me this and we'll do something nice for you. And I still get emails to this day. That was like five years ago. People listen to this three hour thing, but I don't feel that way anymore. I think podcasting has a ton of benefits, but I don't think it's specifically for fast growth. I don't think it's specifically for direct monetization unless you're going all in on podcasting, which it's it's hard for me to recommend people do. That's it. Podcasting is an insanely good way to connect with other people like Doug or Seth Godin or any or to get free consulting for that matter. My my thing with Seth Godin was like I got to have him for like 45 minutes and just ask him whatever the hell I want for free. Like what of the medium can you do that? That's podcasting. So there's still an insane benefit there, but it's it's its own thing. YouTube, I highly recommend anybody who even thinks I might want to do video. If you have that notion in your head, you could probably figure it out at some point. Some people are the opposite. Some people are like, that terrifies me. The camera terrifies me. I don't think I could do that. Probably not for them. They might be able to make it work. But if you even have an inkling like, oh, I might be able to do that. I actually think there's still a massive amount of opportunity left on YouTube for the foreseeable future. Totally. And what about YouTube? Actually, before I ask the next question, I agree a hundred percent with the social media aspect. Like whatever you just said, I'm pretty sure I've said a version of that. Like social media is not for me. I've been putting screen time on, no TikTok. I really dragged my feet on YouTube shorts because it's too TikTok reminiscent. But yeah. you know, as someone who like you said, I kind of know some things that do work. And I look at the metrics and I'm like, I'm not bringing in any new viewers. Like I'm just, I'm not burning out, but I'm not bringing in any new viewers. This is, you know, this is a 
recipe for stagnation or decline. And YouTube Shorts, that's a way to bring in new viewers. I've been dabbling a little bit, trying to figure out how it works for me. Have you played around with YouTube Shorts? What do you think of them? I am looking to get back into them only because they're monetized directly now, I think, as of like this month. I haven't read all the details. I just saw like the YouTube emails they've sent out. It's interesting. I did watch one video about a month ago with Peter McKinnon and this guy, Chris, who runs a magic slash games. Uh, I, I don't even know what to call it. He's, a, he's a, over a million subscribers. Like he's a fantastic YouTuber. And they could not have had, they talked about YouTube shorts and they could not have had more different approaches. Peter McKinnon is like, it takes me a couple of days to get these shorts out and they're cinematic. And you know, he's like the photography, videography guy anyways. And Chris is like the opposite. His videos are still absolutely amazing, but his shorts are just like, I picked up my phone. I shot for 60 seconds and I hit published 3 million views. And he kind of went over his thought process behind that. And I, I watched that video like, I could do that. Yeah. <laughs> right. The way Chris does YouTube shorts. So I haven't gotten back into it. I have seen a little bit of success, a tiny sliver of what those people have done on my niche YouTube channel specifically. I have seen good acquisition number, like new eyeballs, like you were talking about. But just to be honest with you, Doug, I don't have the data to really come to a hard conclusion, if that makes any sense. Yeah. I I think the the lo-fi version that you talked about, like that can work for me also. Yeah. Or Gripped, I don't know if you've used that tool before. Yep. So for people that don't know, like you could upload audio or video and it provides a transcription. It's pretty fast, relatively accurate. It's very easy to create a short vertical format with captions. You know, you could use a template. Yeah. It's very quick. I do these long form interviews, so it's pretty easy for me to, you know, find 60 seconds where Pete sounds brilliant and, <laughs> and then I can roll that as a short and maybe people check out the other huge part of the interview or a longer clip or whatever. So I'll have to play around with it. I don't have much data. I mean, I can see more people, more new people saw those videos and I can see the algorithm play around with my short. So like it hardly anyone views it. All of a sudden there's a thousand views in an hour and then it levels back out. And, you know, my thought, I kind of hit content with quantity, not quality. And if I do, you know, a couple hundred of them, I bet one or two are going to do pretty good just through sheer brute force and luck. So I'm going to give it a shot probably. All right. Let me know how it goes. Yeah. I will not be giving it a shot in that way. So. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So let's switch over to a niche site. So you mentioned you have a handful of sites. I don't know if you reveal your sites. It's totally cool if you don't reveal them or reveal the niche or anything like that. Feel free to mention them if you want to. But what what's your sort of general approach? And I, I don't know, you, you talked about how you started some blogging in 2009 and then you've had like 50 sites. So I don't know if you want to go all the way back, but no, it's not worth it. <laughs> what's your, yeah. So some of these newer sites that you started yeah. in the last couple of years here, maybe just pick one and maybe the most successful one. And we could kind of track along like your approach. So we'll start with like niche selection and keyword research. Yeah. So I will say the, my main niche site, I've, I've known what that term is like forever since that people have been literally using those words. Although I never really did it for years and years and years. I, I was doing other things. And then I got into doing a blog and that was kind of my main focus. And I didn't want any like side projects. I didn't want a portfolio of sites. I just wanted this, like that podcast and YouTube channel 18 months ago ish. Is that right? Now 16, 14, 16 months ago, I, I got burned out on do you even blog. We could talk about that later. If you want to, it was like a year in the making, but eventually I was just like, I got to do other things for a number of reasons. And so niche selection, you mentioned at this point, I, again, this is one of those things that we've figured out because we've been doing this for years. I eventually learned I will get bored out of my mind if this is something I don't care about. Like if it's not a topic I'm passionate about, a hobby or something, like if I don't have any remotely passing interest, I'm not one of these people who's like, 
I have a whole team of writers and editors. I, I, I started the site, but I don't even touch it. And it just grows and makes a bajillion dollars. Like I'm not that person. Not yet. Maybe one day I will, but I'm not right now. And so niche selection, if I'm not interested in it, I can't do it. And that has been the case for each one of the sites I've started over the past 18 months, all the podcasts and YouTube, everything. Like it's interesting to me. The first one was a hobby. I won't say what it is. I have, I have one public niche site that people can go check out. It's another hobby. It's on Fountain Pens. That one people can go look at right now. It's tiny. There's only like 11 blog posts there. But Fountain Pens, it's a hobby. It's something I'm interested in. And if I'm being really honest with you here, Doug, I started my main niche site because I wanted free product. It was a hobby that I'm into. It's also expensive. And I just wanted free stuff. Like I want to work with these companies. I don't want to just be SEO ads and sell it a year from now. I still might sell the site. I built it to sell, but at the moment, I'm doing YouTube videos as well. I like free stuff. So that's number one. And then the only other thing I'm thinking about these days is I don't want to rely on one revenue source. So yeah, I'll throw out his name. It doesn't matter. We don't really know each other that well. John Dykstra, right? The, what does it say? I can't, I never remember. Fat Stacks. That's it. Fat Stacks. Fat Stacks. So he sells his course or his bundle of courses, the niche site content. John is really smart and he knows what he's doing. And I follow his weekly emails. I think everybody should look at those because he, he tends to explore some new ideas and stuff like that. However, his course content specifically is very ad focused. He talks about affiliate stuff like here and there, but all of John's disciples, like his case studies, the people who really talk about the fat stack stuff in that course and his affiliates or whatever, they're like info sites, ad revenue, Ezoic, Mediavine all the way down to AdSense or whatever, like info content, info content, info content. And I think anybody in the past month who's is on, who has an info site, they've seen their ad rates decline. I know I have, I know lots of other people have as well. And it's just one of those things where I don't want to be left standing in the dust a year from now. Like, yeah, it takes nine to 12 months to build a niche site to any sort of growth or profitability or whatever. People can agree or disagree on timelines. But the point is it does take time some amount of time and I don't want to put that effort in and be held to just one thing. So niche selection, I'm getting back to your answer, I promise, Doug. I have to have affiliate and ad revenue and sponsorship opportunity. I have to see that in the niche now. So the past couple of sites I'm looking at like, all right, is there enough info con- content for me to build out like 300 posts over the next couple of years and see ad revenue? Okay, cool. Is there affiliate earnings opportunity? Even if it's just Amazon, honestly, but is there stuff there? Are there product searches people are typing into Google or whatever? Are there brands out there who might work with me at some point for something? There has to be a yes to that question. And this isn't exactly what you ask. You may have been heading this direction in our conversation, Doug. Something else I've only recently started to double down on is, can I make money from this if Google goes away? Or maybe more appropriately, if Google buys OpenAI or Microsoft OpenAI or whatever, or Google launches their own proprietary chat GPT, chat AI, what if they implement that and they cut blog traffic by half to some of these niche sites out there that could be replaced by feature snippets and AI content? What if that happens? I'm looking at that the past couple of months like that has to be a yes now in my book. I have to know that I can build an audience on Facebook or on my email list or something in addition to in addition to Google. I know I didn't go into keyword research right there, but I feel like I've been talking a while. Yeah, I feel like you've been talking a lot too, but it's perfect. That's exactly what we're here to do. That's, uh, that's so, what you want to hear. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's awesome. I'll give you a break here for a second. So you said a couple of things that I love. One, like my my course, which I don't think we've talked about, it's called multi-profit site. And the whole idea is exactly what you said. So it's like mm-hmm. affiliate revenue. You want to have some informational topics. One caveat, which I, I think, I mean, I know you a little bit, Pete. So I know digital products are huge, right? So that's the other piece where I'm like, I don't mm-hmm. just want physical products. Like the holy grail is to have some digital products in either courses or software that you can promote as well, just because those are you know, sometimes reoccurring revenue, the commission rates are often higher. Example I love to use is like like camera gear and stuff, which I know you're into also. You have 
editing software for video and photography. You have courses. You have a whole, you know, industry, digital and physical, and all the accessories, lights, lenses, whatever. So it's kind of like the perfect example. Yeah. You can't do that in every industry, but it's really cool if you could find one. I, I never. Oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say that's wise. Yeah, I left that one out because I was burnt out on digital products when I started these. But yeah, Fair. I think yeah. That's the and the other piece, which I had not thought of specifically, but you sort of like, you know, pulled it together. So smart. But yeah, like what if like the landscape dramatically changes? I mean, Google updates have been kind of bananas over the last you know couple years anyway, more frequent, more volatile. But what if the traffic that they're sending in general goes in a different direction? And like you said, Microsoft is investing a huge amount in open AI. I think it was like 10 billion. Is that what you saw too? Yep. yep. That's so right. that's a huge, like Bing could actually be like a player in, in this. And maybe they're not even sending us much traffic, but I mean, I haven't, I don't know if I've ever used Bing. If it was an accident, maybe if I, if I ever did. Yeah. <laughs> so when you, when you're building a site, do you always like build an email list and you're like, I'm doing a YouTube channel also is, so that's the key piece of the puzzle now. I would say I, I would not consider myself an expert at that question, but I will answer the best I can. And it starts with at the moment, I think each project for me is completely different and quite frankly, each niche. So I have another food site, which I could 100% see working as a, actually, I'll just give him a shout out. Forgetting his names at the moment. This is so stupid. He was literally on my podcast like two weeks ago. I can't believe I'm forgetting the name of it. I'm going to figure it out now because I'm angry at myself. But the point is, he has been doing amazing things. Scott DeLong. There you go. I had to look it up because I'm an idiot. Scott. I love Scott. Scott's been doing incredible stuff with like Facebook pages. And he runs Facebook ad campaigns to start from zero. And get to like 100,000 Facebook likes in like a month. And then he pulls that to an email list. Now he's got over 22,000. And I think he's in month like three of his little project and his challenge or whatever. So we were talking about this. And I am I'm looking to incorporate this strategy, I guess I'll say. I do have an email list for just about everything that I've created, period. I'm not always really focused on it. Like with lead magnets or freebies or whatever. Not so much, although technically, I actually looked the other day and I have like 2,000 people on my niche site email list. I'm like, I haven't even emailed them. I'm an idiot, but I have them there. Don't, don't be me. That's what I'm saying. But yes, in the past couple of months, I'm now starting to officially incorporate those things, even if they're just, again, not actively running Facebook ads per se, but having the email list and collecting emails and you know putting the form on the homepage or in a sidebar or a pop or, or whatever, and starting to get the ball rolling. So that's not a very satisfying okay. answer to your question. The answer is I probably should have thought about this 18 months ago when I started my niche sites, but as of the moment, it, it's becoming more and more important. And I think that's okay because, I mean, those early early months, you're not really getting that much traffic, and the ROI from it is probably pretty low. So much okay. Scott. Yeah. And then you're growing it fast. And he, I recognize the name. I don't remember what else he did. He, he had something else big, right? That he did. He's done some bigger stuff over the years. He sold a couple sites for the high seven figures and just, he's an insanely impressive guy. You should go look him up. ScottTheLong.com. I'll give him a shout out. Okay. His email list also really, really good. Really, cool. Really cool. So how are you approaching content? Are you writing this stuff yourself? It sounds like you're into whatever the topics are. So what, how, how are you handling it? Yeah. I want to do everything myself. It's what I enjoy doing in life, in my work. If I had my way and I could only produce content, no admin work, no marketing, marketing, besides creating the content, I wouldn't do any of that. I would just do content. I want to do everything myself. And I actually think this is what I'm best at. Not that I'm the best in the world, but and my skill set, I think I'm really good at actually creating the content. So I will also give a cop out here, Doug. And actually, Scott told me he, he saw this video. So I have a video on YouTube. I put it out like six months ago. Just kind of 
just on a whim, right? And I don't even remember the title. It was something a little clickbaity. But the point was how to produce good content. That was like the gist, right? And I just kind of made some stuff up, some stuff that I've been in my head. But since then, and it doesn't even have like a couple of thousand views. Like it's not the Doom Blog YouTube channel is it's not massive at all. But I've heard from more people from that one video than videos that have like way more views and something interesting there. My approach to content is simple and clear and that's it. Simple, clear, and human. I've had a few discussions recently on branding. I can't remember if that was you a week or two ago we talked about branding or it was somebody else. But I think speaking of AI tools and chat GPT, the more we have to deal with this stuff. Actually, I know I've been talking a lot, Doc, but forgive me. I have a good analogy that a CMO gave me just an hour or two ago. By the way, a CMO at a brand in my niche for one of my niche sites. Like I'm, I'm partnering with the companies in a hobby of mine. I, I just love that stuff. Anyways, he was talking about chat GPT and AI content tools. And he said, it's kind of like Tesla autopilot, right? Like if you are a Tesla owner and you want to use the full autopilot features, but you're a really good driver and you sit there and pay attention, your hands on the wheel, et cetera, it's going to kind of transform you into a like super driver. You technically should be better and safer or whatever. But there's the opposite person, which is literally just going to like take a nap at the wheel, right? Like I turn my Tesla on, it's on autopilot. I'm just going to close my eyes and rest for a while. Obviously, that's terrible. That is eye content creation right now. These tools <laughs> in the right hands could make you a super creator. These tools, for some people who are just going to like copy and paste and they're going to churn out a thousand articles in their site, rank and tank, what do we call it? Something like yeah. that. It's the Tesla driver who falls asleep at the wheel. The problem is we all drive on the same roads, right? I'm competing in Google with these people who are churning out a thousand articles with AI content. And my goal and my all my content, I'm writing most of it myself. I have hired a few writers in the past month, actually, and I'm kind of getting through that process. <laughs> I train them hard. You're a systems guy. You're a project management guy, so you, you kind of get this. But training them hard, setting up systems, and I still edit it. But my goal with all of this stuff is simple, clear, and human. Doesn't matter if it's for SEO, if it's a Facebook campaign, or whatever it is. Simple, clear, and human. We can dive into that further if you want to. But honest to God, I think that encompasses like my entire work strategy at the moment. Just those three words. I like the the you know the clear and conciseness there. I want to go back a little bit to. I'm not sure how to ask the question, but the people that I see that are most successful with their sites, they usually have some kind of writing background. You have an unusual background in that you switched majors, you ended up doing, you know, accounting, which is obviously numbers based. You yeah. spent at least three years, it sounds like you're a lifelong musician, but a lot of time in music and, you know, artistic endeavors. Did you have a strong writing background from, say, middle school, high school on? No, I was terrible at it. I have a strong performing background. So I don't want to go too deep in the weeds on the Enneagram because I, I, I can't even tell you other people's numbers or whatever. But my friends who are into the Enneagram had me read this book. Just the, the Enneagram 3. I'm an Enneagram 3. 3 wing 4 or something. Or whatever. And... Out of everything I've read about that, and my friends who are into the Enneagram tell me, like, this is, they call it the performer. And part of what, well, they thrive on not being seen as a failure. That's what motivates people like me to do anything, not being seen, perceived as a failure. And part of what that means is adapting and empathizing with your audience. And by audience, I literally mean quite literally in the case of like music or performing. And I also did a little bit of, theater i was like involved in something i was never like a, a big stage actor but I, I was involved in theater and i got a comedy role in high school and just random stuff like that but i've always been a performer i've always been able to step into the shoes for a wide variety of situations i also like to do public speaking and i've been told i'm good at it i haven't really pursued it but i enjoy it and i think i'm i think i'm decent enough at it and i've always been good at presenting in meetings and work and all this other stuff. And I think writing comes into that. I, I do like to talk. 
as you've discovered already, Doug, I like to do video. I like to do audio. And I think I'm decent at empathizing with what people want to read right here, what people need to read right here. One more thing I'll say on content. No, I don't have any background in writing whatsoever. <laughs> in fact, the number one, I, I haven't cheated in my life at a whole lot of things. But the one area I did cheat in college, at least, was writing. I paid like 20 bucks for somebody's article. And then I literally just like changed some words and submitted. This is way before AI. So this is like yeah. old fashioned cheat. Anyway, that was writing. I hated writing. I don't really remember where I was going. Oh, formatting. Sorry. Last thing. I think formatting is like the easiest freaking thing that everybody ignores. And I mean line breaks. I mean bold, italicizing. I mean how large are your H2s and your H3 tags on your website. I mean doing call-out boxes with like little colored backgrounds to draw attention to things. I mean customizing your Amazon beds, like the AWP is the plugin that I use to like show off Amazon products. I customize that with CSS so it really pops out. There's enough spacing and I only want this much text. Like I spend an insane amount of my time over the years obsessing over formatting. And all of it comes from a perspective of what makes this content better for people who are Googling. I told one of my writers today, I'm like, no one's going to read this article that you wrote. This is why I'm bolding these words and these words and these words. It's because people are going to be skimming this shit really quickly. And I need them to get what they're looking for. And I just use bold and like highlighting and stuff like that to make it happen. So I obsess over formatting. If you would ever want to share specifics, I'm happy to send you a link to that video. I could point people to. Doesn't make me any money. I just yeah. point people down on the YouTube channel and it goes cool. through some of that stuff. Awesome. Yeah. And I was going to say, I, I think you're right with the the formatting. And like, once you, once you do this stuff for a little while, you, you kind of see what works and like, yeah, people are skimming like, you're lucky if they read all of the subheadings, you know, right. that kind of thing. Now, yeah. I was taking a look at your blog. I'm pretty sure you're using our probably mutual friend, Matt Javanese's theme. Is that Carbonate? <laughs> I'm not using that. I have paid for it. Yes, I did copy a lot of the design functions for DUM blog. Okay. Yeah. I like Matt enough. I've had him on the podcast a few times. I have. Okay. I should have cleared that first. I didn't know that was where that was going. I was like, look, I see some of the same colors. He's a neighbor now. He he lives like a mile or two away. Really? Which is crazy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's a buddy um, of mine. No, so I think Do You Even Blog is still all on Elementor. Elementor's custom theme builder. Just within the past month or two, I've moved all my niche sites over to Generate Press. Excuse me. Generate Press and Generate Blocks, which is phenomenal. But I put it off for years. But now that I've switched over, I'm like, this is amazing. It's cool. I right. should have moved yeah, so if people want to check out some of the the formatting and spacing, you can check out the blog. We'll we'll put a link, of course, and all that stuff. Okay, so I want to shift gears a little bit, but be- before we do, any like sort of broad strokes? And actually, I didn't ask you this before. You said one of your sites is actually earning pretty good. Can you tell us a little bit about earnings as much as you're able or want to share? And you could totally punt this question. I always like to ask. And then I don't mind. the trajectory. So people are always like, how long does it take to earn X amount of money? You alluded to like nine to 12 months. Can you talk about what you've seen and what you kind of expect over the next year? It's earning about 2,500 bucks a month right now. That's kind of like where the, the rate is at. It is technically 14 months old, but the first month I only had two blog posts. And the second month only had like three or four. So trying to do the math on my head. Yeah, it's, it's it's honestly about 12, 13 months old at this point. And it made money in month one, technically, because I started a YouTube channel alongside it. I think you actually asked me this earlier, like the intersection of blog and YouTube, and I totally like forgot you asked me that question. I'm happy to go back and talk about that if you want. But I do think, I think beginners especially shouldn't expect anything for their first year. I think if you've done this sort of stuff before, you can probably understand the game you're playing. Everybody plays a little bit of a different game. Quantity over quality is something you said a little while ago. Some people take the exact opposite approach, especially for like affiliate sites, right? I just so that one niche site it probably got to roughly $100 to $300 a month, like seven months in. And then the trajectory you mentioned was literally doubling every month for like two or three months. And then 
absolutely plateauing. And then maybe it grew for another couple of months, like two months at the end of 2022, just a couple of months ago. I don't have my dates exactly correct. But at the moment, about a year in, 14 months in, it is a very slow and steady growth. So I'm only putting out, I think, four to six blog posts a month for the site. I'm doing two YouTube videos a month for the YouTube channel. And those things together are, it's kind of like, it's no longer like insane Google index my site all of a sudden or anything like that. There's no virality to it. There's no viral videos. There's no viral blog posts whatsoever. This slow and steady growth in Google's eyes. I'm getting near to 50,000 sessions um, this month. It's really close to that. I don't know what the page views are, but it's right around 50,000 sessions, 60K page views or something. The YouTube channel, it does well. It does not earn a whole lot. We, we'll talk about that later if you want, but it gets about 100,000 views, 115,000 views a month. It <laughs> still earns far less than the Do You and Blog YouTube channel, which only gets literally less than a tenth of that. It's kind of crazy. That answer your question? I don't know if data. Yes, that's fantastic. Okay. All right. And can you give us the breakdown of affiliate revenue versus display ad revenue? If yep. you happen to it's, know. It's probably, well, historically, way more affiliate revenue because I was able to kind of get those posts ranking just kind of an accident. It just happened this way. Much faster in Google. Like at the end of month three, month four, I had maybe like 5,000, 10,000 page views a month for some of these affiliate posts. And it was starting to earn mostly Amazon, entirely Amazon, actually, for a long time. At the moment, it's about 50-50. So I thought, I've only been on Ezoic for about three months. I'm mostly happy there. Ad rates have been a little disappointing, like RPMs, ERPMs or whatever they call it. But at the moment, and for the past couple of months, it's been about 50-50. Split roughly right down the middle, Amazon affiliate earnings, Ezoic ad providers. Cool. All right. Very good. Okay. And we, we're roughly coming up towards the end of time, so I don't, I don't want to capitalize on your afternoon here. You may have a nap coming your way. I, I did right beforehand, actually. That's why I started a little slow. <laughs> right. So maybe we can get a round two in a few months or something like that. But I, I do want to shift over to burnout. So tell me why do you even blog? I guess wore you out a little bit. What happened? I I sort of identified a couple pieces of burnout for myself and steered clear away from them. Typically, you know, that means you're maybe moving away from something profitable, but like it's for sanity. So it's well worth it. And I've, I've held strong like for, for most of the time. So tell, tell me your story. Yeah. There's three parts to this. Number one, I've already told you. So the, the, the 50, 60, 70 plus sites over the past decade, over the past like 13, 14 years, that was shiny object syndrome. People are familiar with that term, right? Chasing shiny objects and not giving projects enough time. I'm a very impatient person by nature. My wife would tell you this firsthand. And so when do you even blog started? I kind of made this commitment to myself. I, I literally just got laid off. Like all my, my bridges are burned. My boats are burned. Whatever that metaphor is. There's a metaphor there somewhere. I was like, I have to make this work and I'm going to focus on it. Focus meaning like nothing else. I'm going to give this five years minimum to make any money. And like, I'm just going to focus. I'm not going to do anything else. I'm going to focus, focus, focus. So about 18 months ago, about really about two and a half years ago, I was starting to get to this point where <laughs> I've been focusing on it and it's not really doing what I wanted to do. And it's not just been a year or two years, but five years plus that I've been doing this. And I'm like, eh, it's not really where I want it to be. It earns me enough money. It, it gives me a, you know, it lets me put food on my table and buy shiny new fountain pens, but it's not what I want it to be. And it's kind of frustrating. So the next part of this was 2020, 2021 were both, for the most part, really excellent years for doing blog audience growth. I had funnels that were just clicking and cranking and earning. And it was just great for the most part. And then I'm not sure why to this day, things just fell flat. 
I did launches of programs that I'd done launches before, like established programs that I made better. And I had, a, I used to have affiliates for, they just started not earning. And in year one of do you even blog, by the way, I, I was like already getting towards like five figure launches. Like, oh, I made like $10,000. I only had like three, 300 people on my email list. Oh, there's like a $12,000 launch. So it was starting to do these things. And then I was like, now I have a thousand people on my email list. Now I have 5,000. Now I have like 10,000 people on my email list. And my launches are like 3K, $2,200. And like going down, I'm like, what? what is happening? Okay, I got to figure these things out. And when it happened once, it was like, well, that was a flop. That didn't work. When it happened twice, it was like, well, that didn't work either. And then it happened for a year straight on everything I did for the most part. And at that point, it was like, I'm out. Like, yes, something has to change for my mental well-being. And the last piece of the puzzle of your question is, I don't know if you'll identify with this or not. I assume you don't. In fact, I don't think most people do. I needed to prove to myself that I knew what I was talking about. I have an online marketing podcast. I talk about products and funnels and ads and SEO and traffic and all this crap. But I don't have a lot of traffic to my blog. My YouTube channel is stagnating. It's starting to like plateau and then level off and I'm losing interest and losing subscribers or whatever. And my products are no longer selling, even though I'm talking about copywriting and launches and like all this stuff. Like, you know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know what I'm talking about. And this is an awful place to be in. And so part of the reason I started back into different projects, niche sites or whatever, was this, just being really honest with you, I had to prove to myself that I knew what the hell I was doing. And by the way, it worked. I do know what I'm doing. (laughs) I figured those things out. I've had a lot of fun the past 18 months and my life has never been better. And I've worked 20 hours a week and starting to make money. It's not massive money yet, but different projects are rolling in and starting to grow. And yeah, so burnout, man. It's never fun. And did, well, I'm glad you, you, you pulled out of the spiral and you, you do indeed know what you're doing. (laughs) <laughs> which is good at least somewhat <laughs> did you at least enough doing this yeah and i mean the site that you were talking about i mean it's making 2500 bucks slow growth i mean that's a you know roughly a six-figure site if you were to sell it you know valuation wise which is pretty cool in 14 months so did, did you identify now that you've had some time away from focusing purely on do you even blog did you figure out like what the issue was? Was it the wrong audience? Was it you know not shiny and new and anything? You've always heard that airplanes don't crash when something goes wrong. Airplanes crash when 17 things go wrong. And that's what I feel like it was. Um, I still can't point to this one specific thing or I should have done this one thing differently. I, I do feel like there was a multitude of challenges that I just did not overcome all at once, or even the majority of those things that led to burnout, that led to the failed product launches or whatnot. I think some of it was product market fit. I think some of it was timing, for sure. Um, There was just a bunch of that. Gotcha. That combined with the burnout and the losing confidence in myself, like there were the 17 things that all kind of happened in my life over that year, late 2021, to like 2022 or actually it was more like early 2021 up to 2022 that you're yeah all those things happen at once man and then a couple more questions so podcast it does sound like that was pretty cool and usually you're just having like conversations i was on your show we had a great time Did, did you stop doing the the podcast altogether like did did your interest there shift too yeah i got super bored I wasn't making any direct money from it. Like I don't do sponsorships for the most part and wasn't really pulling people to my email list or funnels very quickly, very directly, right? Like podcasting can absolutely grow a business, but it's, it's a little bit more nuanced. It's a little bit more indirect and it was just eating up too much of my time and energy. And I was like, I got to do things that make money. This is again during that burnout phase. And so since then, I really only do podcasts. When the inspiration strikes, or if there's somebody that I actually want to talk to, like I don't accept guest pitches, really, especially like the the lame guest pitches every podcaster gets. Yeah. Like, hey, are you thinking of a guest? At this point, I'm just like, no, and I'm not even remotely interested in entertaining it. 
But yeah. if somebody like that Doug comes along or Scott DeLong or Anne from Yeez.com, I had her on the show, or Allison from Page Factory, a program programmatic SEO person, stuff I'm just kind of interested in and I want to learn about anyways. Yeah, I'll go ahead and hit record and just yep. publish as is, but it's on the back burner. That's cool. One thing I forgot to ask you, how many posts are on that site? So you said it was kind of a, a slow start early on. Just curious of the total after 14 months or so. Yep. I'm actually just going to pull up in this, the stats right now because I think Sweet. it's interesting. I did start it not as a niche site. It was just kind of like a hobby site. It was something I was into, but I like, I just needed something to kind of take my brain off of, you know, do even blog or whatnot. So the first couple of months, yeah. Month one, I did have 60 page views somehow. I, I had, oh, I had zero post. That was all like referral traffic. Okay. The first couple of months, first three months, there was nine posts. Now there are a total of, I think, a hundred and 101, but that's not January. So about 105 posts. And for okay. reference, my other sites, there's already like 30 or 40 posts <laughs> that I've done okay. in the past like month and a half or two months for the okay. newer sites. So I'm really starting to ramp up like my goal of 2023. We haven't talked about this at all, I think, but my goal of 2023 is 444, 444 pieces of content across my platforms. And I have it all, I have it all mapped out. That's like, do you even blog? videos, podcasts, newsletters, my main niche site, YouTube videos, and blogs, and my other sites like this, this, I have it all mapped out, 444 pieces of content in 2023. And so far, I've already done like 33 in January. I'm on track somewhere in there. It's a lot of stuff, man. That's going. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, super cool. And like I said, I know we don't have, I don't have you all afternoon, so I want to respect your time, but I do want to have you back on. Seems like you have a lot of stuff. We could definitely get like an update, and there's like probably five other topic areas that we just didn't have time to cover. So, Pete, it has been amazing chatting with you. Where should people find you? Yeah, thank you, Doug. I would point people to doyouhimblog.com. I think at the bottom of the page, they can opt in for the newsletter. It's mostly a roundup newsletter at this point. I kind of transitioned for my own mental energy, my own brain space, just like a weekly roundup letter. I'll launch products like maybe once a quarter. They're all small things at this point. No, no huge programs or whatever. Flash sales, if you will. Mm-hmm. But yeah, doblog.com. Join the newsletter right there and you can kind of follow along with everything that's going on. Very cool. Yeah, we'll link up to Do You Even Blog and your YouTube channel so people can check it out. You publish there every now and then. And I have an interview that I yeah. think will be published there by the time this one goes live too. So. Yeah. Awesome, man. Thanks, Pete. Thank you, Doug. It's been a lot of fun, man.